those of you who have been with me for a long time um, probably noticed that I did things in reverse, but for everyone else, let me say that typically what I'm covering um, today, at least the first portion, I would I would normally um, cover when I'm opening up a psalm, but with us going to the new services and with the increased number, I wanted to jump right into um, perhaps the major theme, um, certainly one of the major themes of Psalm 90 and the brevity of life. So that's why I did that. I wanted to have plenty of time. I didn't know how long that would take me, and we did get through that. It took us three weeks, but I, I think that was helpful um, thank you for the feedback. But now I want to go back and sort of look at the whole psalm, and then I want us to focus on the uh, the, the ending prayer, which is uh, which also is important. And uh, trust me, I could take three weeks on the ending prayer, but I'm out of I'm out of time. So this is it. Um, we're going to do it today. So we're looking at Psalm 90. Um, in Psalm 90, you see the eternity of God, the frailty of man, and the petitions of Moses. It's a it's a prayer of Moses. Um, I would encourage you, the Psalms are something that um, I hope you're reading through continuously. Um, it would be great to read through the Psalms every month. Uh, this year, so far, I've read through the Psalms twice. Um, Psalms and Proverbs um, will really help you in your walk with the Lord. Obviously, all of the Word of God is, is uh, sufficient and quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, but Psalms meets us right where we are in the hurts and the difficulties and the trials and the ups and the downs of life. And there's nobody here that doesn't have um, a good day followed by two bad days. Amen? I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality of life. And, and Psalms helps us to steady us and, and helps our emotions so that we're not emotion-led, but we're we walk by faith, not by sight. We're not emotion-led. We're, we're faith-led through the Word. And Psalms are such a blessing. And so I'm saying that because I would encourage you to, to not depend on Pastor Brody or some other pastor for the study of Psalms. Get yourself a few commentaries. Um, I've put a few here um, that would be very helpful to you. I love the Holman Old Testament commentary set. Um, Steve Lawson is the primary author, but there's other ones. But it's a, it's a, a, a two-volume set. It's not very expensive. And um, it's, it's really written at a, um, at a layperson's level. It's, it's not written at a, semin, at a seminary level. And uh, it'll be very helpful. It's very practical. And it's a, it's a wonderful resource. Um, uh, the Treasury of David, if you're familiar with that, that's, that's thick and it's big. And, um, and Spurgeon, no one, no one ever has written or probably ever will again like Spurgeon. What a tremendous resource. But you have to dig a little bit harder and a little bit deeper in, in, in that. And I understand that wouldn't be for everybody. Um, I'll jump down there to James Montgomery Boyce's expository, expositorial commentary. That's, uh, again, a couple of volumes. Actually, I think it's, it's three volumes, if I remember correctly. And uh, I use and rely on that heavily because I find that is a really good balance between technical and um, exhortation. And so if you were to take the Holman and the 
and, and the boys, you, you would have yourself, along with a good study Bible, some um, really great resources that would, would help you to be able, as you're reading through the Psalms, you, you read something and you think, what, what does that mean? Um, what's the context there? What's some of the applications? You really can't make an application if you don't understand what was said and what was meant by what was said to the original audience, the authorial tent of that psalm. You've got to know that before you can make a solid application. And those commentaries would help you with that. So I just, that's why I put that there. There's a few others. We spoke to you about the brief, briefly about the context of Psalm 90, but the inscription reads, it's uh, written by Moses. Um, and it's the only psalm in the Psalter, the Psalter that Moses wrote, but it's not the only psalm that he wrote. He wrote two others, one in there in Exodus and one in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. And uh, if I had more time, I'd go into those because they're, they're helpful and insightful. But um, this psalm is possibly, quite possibly, and um, those people who dig and research those things out are, are, are a little bit divided on this, so I'm, I'm letting you know that. But it's quite possibly the oldest piece of Scripture. And some of that would be depending on whether Moses wrote it before or after the Pentateuch. You, you're... You know that Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. So when did he write those books, and when did he write this psalm? Many, many feel that he wrote this psalm prior to the writing of the, of the five uh, books. Um, and then, of course, contingent upon who wrote Job, which we don't know. The authorship of Job is uh, anonymous. And so, therefore, exactly when Job was, was written. But it easily could be the oldest piece of scripture that we have when we go to the book of Psalms, chapter 90. And um, if we were to read Ex- or, excuse me, Numbers, chapter 20, we would, we would see um, the, the heart of Moses. Think about his emotions. Think about him as a human being. Think about what you know about Moses. What, what, do you, what are some of the things that you know about Moses? I want to try to get you into the setting, because he is led by the Holy Spirit as he writes Scripture, but, but he's never um, violated by the Holy Spirit that he's also not man. Do you, do you understand that? He's, as God moves us, these men, as they wrote the Scripture, and they were, in fact, themselves. What do we know about Moses? Russ? I'm sorry? He couldn't, he couldn't speak well. I mean, he was a fearful man, wasn't he? Yeah, he didn't want to go. Send, Abe, send Aaron. Send Aaron. And so uh, God actually met him at his point in need and let Aaron go with him, uh, right? But at the same time, let him know, I, I will give you the ability, I, I will give you the power to be able to use your tongue and speak what I give you. So, but he was a fearful man, okay? What else? Who said that? He had a temper. And that came back and bit him, didn't it? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Did you ever lose your temper? <laughs> Hello. And, and, and Moses did. And I don't know what makes you lose your temper. But usually it's a, the slow burn of frustration. Would that be fair to say? The slow burn of frustration. And that frustration usually comes from what? Other people. Maybe they're little people. Maybe they're big people. Maybe they're neighbor people. Maybe they're work people. You know what I'm talking about, right? 
Moses had six million of them to deal with. <laughs> Do you think that might cause him to lose his temper? Yeah. What else do we know about Moses? Yes, Joy? We're told he's the meekest man that ever lived. He was a very, very humble man. So even though he would lose his temper, it automatically humbled him. He wanted to do something which absolutely amazes me when I think about it. What is it that Moses wanted to do and, in a sense, God let him do? He wanted to speak to God what? Face to face as a man speaks to a friend. While that is so critical to understand when we look at the end of this psalm, the kind of a relationship that Moses desired to have with the creator God of the universe. In fact, you, you, you remember, God said, I, you can't see me face to face or you'll be consumed, but I'll hide you in the what? The cleft of the rock. We love those old hymns, don't we? And you'll be able to see my, my hinder part. The, the, you'll be able to get a glimpse of not me, but the glory of God as I, as I walk by you. And twice he spent 45 days up on the mountain, and at least one of those times we know the mountain was shaking and smoking. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I, you know, I, I'm just me. You, you get hungry. I mean, you know, I sit down and eat a meal. I stuff myself. I can eat Thanksgiving dinner at 2. And I'm saying to my family, no more food. You ever in that place? And then by 6 o'clock, I'm so hungry I can't stand it again. I can't imagine, Moses is up in the mountain, and I would have thought someplace he'd have probably got hungry. Can you imagine saying to holy God, got any food in the refrigerator, God? I mean, I, I don't, do you think about things like that? This Moses, 45 days with God, he comes down, loses his temper because of the, of the sins of the children of Israel and, and throws the tablets at them. You know that whole story. And now he's got to go back up and say to God, <laughs> think I could have another copy? <laughs> um, I mean, he's an amazing, an amazing man. And it's this man, with all of his humanity, with all of the ups and the downs that one goes through, that wrote this psalm, and it almost certainly came out of the experiences that he went through in Numbers 20, and in Numbers 20, his sister died, Miriam. He loved Miriam, no doubt. I don't think there's any question about that, and that tugged at his heart. I love my sister, and she died three years ago during COVID, and she was my little sister, and it, tugs at, it tugged at my heart. I'm certain it would have Moses. And then Moses lost his temper in that chapter, and... This is after the people are complaining and they've already lost the ability to go into the promised land. They're going to die there in the wilderness. It's only going to be the fruit from their bodies, the fruit of their hands, their children that are going to go and receive the inheritance which they rebelled against and lost. And yet Moses hadn't lost that privilege and he gets angry with them. And and in that anger... Rather than obeying God, when God said, speak to the rock, 
Moses struck it twice, and there was consequences. There's consequences to sin, isn't there? God forgives us eternally, but there's consequences to sin. To to you and me, it probably seems at first pass that that's pretty harsh, but Moses understood consequences. He's doing funeral day after day, hundreds and thousands of funeral, and he's seeing people die that are 70 to 80 years old, dying there in the wilderness. And that's what he's going through. And then to top it all off in that chapter, then his brother Aaron, the one who spoke for him, the one who is his constant companion through all of it, dies. And and this is the backdrop at that hymn. Many songs, hymns, have been produced from this wonderful psalm, one we sang this morning, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast in our eternal home. There's a famous um, cathedral in my land. I've not ever been there and had the privilege of seeing it, but it's a monstrous structure. Um, you know, I got this picture from the internet, so who knows if it's true or not, but it's it's big. It's one of those monstrous European cathedrals. And as soon as you get inside, it narrows to three giant archways. And in the archways are etched in marble the sayings that I have down there on your paper. And, and as you go through those marble um, archways, you enter from a vestibule into the sanctuary. I actually have these reversed. I suppose that's because of my dyslexia. I don't know, but um, on the um, right archway is the word, all that pleases is but for a moment. It's, it's etched there in the, um, in the marble. And on the, on the far left archway is all that troubles us is but for a moment. But on that center, center archway is all that is important is eternal. That's the theme of this psalm. That's what this psalm has been screaming to us. The only thing that matters is what is eternal. The message is clear. In those archways, that all that enter the sanctuary, all that is temporal is ultimately trivial. That's hard to grasp, but we've looked at that for three weeks. All that's temporal is ultimately trivial. What is truly important in the present is that which will be important 10,000 years from today. And so it's with that that this uh, magnificent prayer asking God to have mercy on frail people living in a sin-cursed world. Moses begins with the eternality of God, and he moves quickly to the frailty of man, the brevity, and the ending of three petitions, what I want us to look at today. So you'll see that on the, on the back sheet. Um, 
and read Psalm 90. You could break it up. Many times it's broken up into four sections. I've broken it up into three. I'm really only going to look at um, primarily the last um, section. Of course, you can break it up into many subsections, but you see the eternal grandeur and the majesty of God in those first two verses. A prayer of Moses, the man of God, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the world, to the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then Moses moves quickly to the frailty, and out of that frailty, really the the sinfulness of man, and he knows, he's experienced it, and his people are experiencing the severity of the wrath of God. And so you you see that in these... uh, in these verses, 3 through 11 and then 13. And you turn man back to dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday that's passed by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they're like grass which sprouts anew, and in the morning it flourishes and it sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and it withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquity before us, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days have declined into fury. You have finished our years like a sigh. And for the days of our lives, they contain 70, or if due to strength, 80 years, yet there's pride, is but labor and sorrow, for soon it's gone and we fly away. We under, who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? Verse 13, do not, O Lord, Do return, O Lord, how long will it be, and be sorry for your servants. And that which I want to primarily look at today, that ending section, the mercy and unfailing love of God for his people, verse 12, and then 14 through 17. So teach us to number our days that we may present them to you a heart of wisdom. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years that we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and let your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of your hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. And so that that first prayer that you see that comes out of there in verse 12, we've covered in, in totality, I would say, in the last three weeks. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain or present to you a heart of a, a, a wisdom. 
that, that we might have the wisdom to live a holy life, that we might fear the Lord, that we might love him with all of our hearts and our, and our souls. And, and we said that the, the, that the prayer that Jonathan Edwards prayed coming out of here was, was, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Help me to understand the brevity of life and that I have an appointment with you. And so we've looked at that. I want you to look at, at number two. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for gladness all of our days. I grew up in the 50s and the 60s, was born in the 40s. That sounds pretty old to most of you, I know. But as an unsaved rocker, the number one song is, I can get no satisfaction. I don't know if you're familiar with that. If you're not, that's probably better that you're not, just to be candid with you. You can YouTube it if you want. You see Mick Jagger and his band. Great uplifting songs for the rock culture we had. I can get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. And right there's the problem, right? I try in all the wrong places and in all the wrong things. I can't get it when I'm driving my car. The man on the radio, he comes on and he tells me more and more about some useless information. You know, I want to know something, nothing's changed. I can't get no satisfaction. When I'm watching my TV, the man comes on and tells me how white my shirt can be. But he can't be a man because he doesn't smoke the same cigarette as me. Great lyrics. And it ends with, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. That's the whole song. When I'm riding around and around the world and I'm doing this and singing that, can't you see I'm on a losing streak? I can't get no, can't get no, 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 hey, hey, hey. That's what I say, I can't get no satisfaction, no satisfaction, no satisfaction. I can't get no, and that's how the song ends. That's exactly what brings on a Woodstock and, and, and all the succeeding downgrade that started to happen then, which we still see happening today. There is no satisfaction outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no satisfaction in anything that this world has to happen, offer. And every, every single time we look to this world and the things of this world for satisfaction, we will always come up with the words of that song, I can't get no satisfaction. But in Christ, we have a fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures for evermore. Alexander McLaren said, the only thing that will secure lifelong gladness is a heart satisfied with the experience of God's love. This means that nothing will satisfy the human heart ultimately except God. Judy and I went from the um, I can't get no satisfaction generation to being born again all by his mercy and grace. How we praise the Lord for that. And we floundered for a number of times because we did not come to a church like this where people get connected and then get discipled and grow in the grace and the knowledge and the truth. So we, 
we bounced around for a, a, a number of years until we did. The Lord, his mercy, planted us a church, and by then it was the early 80s, and I'll, I'll never forget it. Most of you wouldn't even know who she is. It was Evie, and um, it was like the first Christian music, I think, that we ever heard, and she, she put out two songs that just resonated with us. One was Born Again. I've been changed. I've been born again. And we had experienced that change, and it moved us deeply, that song. But the song that I put here in your notes is something that Moses is, is talking about here in this, in this verse 14. It was a song she wrote called Unfailing Love. Unfailing love flows from his heart and heals my soul. In spite of who I am, he loves me and he makes me whole. I almost can't believe it's true, unfailing love, and yet I know he gave his life to give me unfailing love. Look at verse 14. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness. That's a covenant love. That's a merciful love. It's, it, it, it's a love that he gives and is unfailing. He is everlasting, and this kind of love for his people is as everlasting as he is. And, and Moses is he's calling on that everlasting love coming out of all of those failures and seeing all of the people dying and, and all of the sin, and, and, and no doubt himself feeling despondent. And he, and he turns to the unfailing love of God that had been set upon him. Don't we need to pray that prayer? Don't we often need to turn to that place as we come up short day after day and relish the fact that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly, that was me, out of love. And the same, the same with you. Augustine said, You made us for yourself, and our heart finds no peace until we rest in you. It's a prayer that we will find our satisfaction, our peace, our joy, and our relationship with Christ and his unfailing love. His, his mercies are, are new every morning. But if we're not careful, we don't even realize it. We're living back in that I can't get no satisfaction generation. And when you feel that in your heart, you know what the need is. You need to repent and you, you, you need to take yourself off the throne and you, you need to recognize that you're being deceived and that you're pursuing and seeking and expecting something that has no eternal value and will never bring satisfaction. And pray that God would open your eyes and pray that God would keep your heart soft, keep your heart soft so that you recognize when that is happening to you. Pray that those are closest to you would notice it if that's beginning to happen to you and speak truth into your life. That's, that's the prayer that, that we ought to be praying. Teach us to number our days, Lord, that we might have your wisdom and we might, we might walk in your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. He's Christ. He's the Lord. Acknowledge him and let him direct your steps. And then take and be satisfied. Lord, satisfy me every day, not in the things of this world, but in you. 
I'll make my plans, but you direct my steps. Satisfy me. Let my satisfaction be not in my job, not in my home, not in my cars, not even in my children or my spouse. Let my satisfaction be in you so that I am free to give myself away to them for the glory of Christ. That's what Moses is praying. The third one there is establish the work of our hands. Let your favor be upon us. And yes, confirm the work of our hands. Confirm it in such a way that we'll be glad. Confirm it in such a way that our children, our grandchildren, and others will look and they'll hear and they'll see the greatness of our God. Tyler has that testimony now that he had a friend on the brink of death and God heard his prayers and raised the man up. That's, that's the blessing and the favor of the work of our hands, the work of prayer, the work of witness, the work of training our children, the work of the preaching today. If God doesn't do the work, everything I've said is, is useless. It's not me. It's the power word that is illuminated in your heart, in your life. And it's the spirit that says, that's for me. I need that. That's what we pray. And we should pray it every day. At last, in his weakness and his sin, before him, Moses appeals to God in this prayer. We often feel hopeless, and we often feel down, and we often feel discouraged, and we often do fail. And we think God can't use us anymore. God wants to put us on a shelf. No, he doesn't. And yes, he can still use you. But we have to be rooted in these truths, his unfailing love. And we start over again. That's what repentance is. We turn around. We confess and we repent and we believe by faith his finished work. It's not performance. It's all grace. And he'll pour that grace out as we take him at his word by faith that we've been forgiven and that his love is everlasting to us. And so go out in confidence asking him, to grant you wisdom, to number your days, to, to, to go out and let you live in the fact that his love for you is unfailing. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks about you. Rest in his love for you. It cannot be shaken. And then ask him, God, I'm frail, but give me fruit that will remain. That's what Doug was praying. Give me fruit that will remain. Give me something for eternity, for Christ's sake. Don't you want that for your life and your heart? I'm sure that you do. And so this should be a prayer that God's people pray continually. And so that's Psalm 90. Yes, confirm the work of our hands for the glory of God. I woke up this morning before my feet hit the floor. Obviously, it's because I've internalized this. And I'm going to be honest with you. You give me three weeks and I'll have internalized something else, but the Spirit of God can bring this back. Internalize these truths. Wake up and say, Lord, Lord, today, teach me as I go through the day to number my days, understanding the brevity of my life, and help me to make my life count. Lord, Today, let me walk in your unfailing love. Fill me with your gladness and joy that I'm not dependent on circumstances. 
I'm dependent wholly on you, and I walk by faith, not by sight, and that I would be glad and joyful regardless of what the circumstances are today, that I might be a witness for the glory of God. And Lord, as I go out and work today, I am your servant. I am your slave. You are the master, and I want to harvest for you. Grant me effectiveness with the work of my hands today for the glory of Christ. We've got to pray that prayer with passion. What did that just take me? One minute and see what God will do. Father, we do pray that you would do a good work in us and a good work through us for the glory of God and for the investing and blessing of others. We love you. Grow us in that love. Thank you that your love for us is unfailing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.